Good morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to morning worship for the fifth Sunday in Lent. And as always, a special welcome for our family and friends joining us from all around the country and across the world. <clears throat> Along with our Minister Katrina, today we'll hear the voices of Paul F., Grace, Alistair and Talash. And of course, we'll hear all playing keyboards. Very shortly, Nikan and Nikiar will be lighting our candle and we're all invited to light a candle of our own at the same time, if we would like to. Then at 7pm this evening, Brian will lead our evening service, which will be the fifth in our Lent study series inspired by the Elton John biopic, Rocket Man. Just a wee reminder that um, Lena would like to hear from you if you'd be interested in having a closed Facebook page where we could share news or requests for prayer or other things that we wouldn't want to put on our public Facebook page. So if you haven't responded to uh, her email yet, if you could do that this week, that would be hugely helpful. Thank you. And also you'll remember our Lent appeal, which is for Glasgow City Mission, will continue as a just giving page uh, right through until Easter Sunday. And the details of the address of that just giving page are in the March edition of the church magazine and on our public Facebook page. Now, two pieces of lovely family news this week. Uh, the first is to uh, let those who don't know that Ken had a big birthday on Friday. I uh, hope you had a lovely day, Ken, and uh, many more uh, to come. Congratulations. And then, uh, again, for those of us who don't know, this is Persian New Year in Iran. So, Happy New Year to Anis and Ehsan, Elham and Ali, Nasi and Sal, and all their families here and in Iran. Happy New Year, everyone. Next Sunday at 11am, Katrina will lead a special service for Pan Sunday. And please note, there will be no evening service next Sunday. So now, very appropriately, since it is New Year, it's over to Nikan and Nikiar to light our candle. As we gather for worship, let us join together to become the body of Christ. Christ is the light that lights our way. May we glimpse Christ's light this day.
as we come to prayer, I will, of course, as is usual, lead us in prayer. And then we're invited to join in the Lord's Prayer in the version and the language that feels the most normal and natural for each one of us. And of course, we do that with our, our mics muted because unfortunately, Zoom can't cope with 45 devices at once. So let's pray. Ever present God, here with us now, closer than our breathing, more vital than our heartbeat. We are glad for this time to focus on you, to recall your goodness, mercy and love. To confess to you our shortcomings and our regrets. To pray for the world of which we are a small part. And to listen for your voice in story, in song and in silence. Obedient Christ, wholly committed to the will of God. Vulnerable Jesus, like us in every way. We marvel at the truth of who you are. Help us to listen for your voice in scripture. Help us to learn from the stories of your life. Help us to grasp how fully we are understood and to renew our decision to walk with you. Life-giving spirit, unbound by time and space, source of comfort and advocacy, gentle wisdom that transforms our minds, healing balm for our weary souls. Move us now to worship with authenticity, to learn with humility, and to serve with tenacity. Triune God, creating, redeeming and sustaining all that is, accept the words of our mouths and the feelings of our hearts, for we offer them to you now. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
Our first reading is from Psalm 51, starting at verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. The second reading is from Hebrews chapter 5, beginning at verse 5. That is why Christ did not exalt himself to become a high priest. No, he was chosen by God who said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father. And in another passage, God said to him, You are a priest forever in the line of Melchizedek. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could deliver him out of death. And God heard his prayers because of his reverence for God. So even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. 
and God designated him to be a high priest in the line of Melchizedek. The third reading is from John chapter 12, verse 20 to 33. Some Greeks had gone to Jerusalem to worship during Passover. Philip from Bethsaida in Galilee was there too. So they went to him and said, Sir, we would like to meet Jesus. Philip told Andrew. Then the two of them went to Jesus and told him. Jesus said, The time has come for the Son of Man to be given his glory. I tell you for certain that a grain of wheat that falls to the ground will never be more than one grain unless it dies. But if it dies, it will produce lots of wheat. If you love your life, you will lose it. If you give it up in this world, you will be given eternal life. If you serve me, you must go with me. My, servant, my servants will be with me wherever I am. If you serve me, my father will honor you. Now I am deeply troubled and I don't know what to say, but I must not ask my father to keep me from this time of suffering. In fact, I have come into the world to suffer. So father, bring glory to yourself. A voice from heaven then said, I have already brought glory to myself and I will do it again. Then the crowd heard the voice. Some of them thought it was thunder. Others thought an angel had spoken to Jesus. Then Jesus told the crowd, that voice spoke to help you, not me. This world's people are now being judged and the ruler of this world is already being thrown out. If I'm lifted up above the earth, I will make everyone want to come to me. Jesus was talking about the way in which he would be put to death. if you have ever had the experience of realizing that this was a moment that would change the course of your life forever. Maybe for some it was a moment when somebody you had been developing a romantic relationship with said 
will you marry me? Maybe it was a moment when a medical consultant said to you, I'm sorry, it's this. Maybe it was the moment you tore open your exam results and knew that you could go and fulfil that dream you'd had of going to this university or, or that drama school or whatever it was. Maybe it was a moment when you chose to move to this place or, or that country. The story we have today is for Jesus such a moment. And I suppose what really strikes me is the account we have of it in the Gospel of John is incredibly mundane. No miracles, no signs, which John is very fond of. Just this strange request from some Greek visitors to Jerusalem to see him. We presume they were God-fearing Greeks, people who were interested in the Jewish faith, maybe people who quietly followed the Jewish faith, but nothing spectacular. And they go to speak to Philip and Philip speaks to Andrew and then Andrew and Philip together takes him to Jesus and say, well, can, can you see them? And I would have expected Jesus either to say yes or no. But he doesn't. He says, the hour has come. Something has changed in that moment. And in good fourth gospel style, he starts to talk in riddles about ears of wheat falling to the ground. And that if it doesn't fall to the ground and die and, and be buried, it can't produce any new grain. But if it does, it will produce new grain. But you can almost feel the shiver running through his body. The chill of realisation as he says, now my heart is troubled. Perhaps some of us have, have known such a moment. A realisation of something and our heart felt deeply troubled. This Jesus is a man. He's fully human. And in this moment, what he has perhaps known at a head level goes to his heart and his gut. He knows in a way he hasn't known until this moment that this is where it's all going to go. This is the beginning of the end. I wonder, did he feel sick to the pit of his stomach? Did his voice wobble as dread and fear flooded every part of him? He steals himself to face the inevitable. And he, and he asks himself a question, should I pray that this doesn't happen? Should I pray to be spared? And he decides, no, actually, this, this is where it was all going to go. 
And now that moment of completion is, is very near. And I wonder again, have we ever felt like that? We've known that something is inevitable. Might have been something good. That might have been something really painful, difficult. And there is no way out. And after he has heard the voice from heaven, which most people seem to think was a rumble of thunder, and I suspect I would have done had I been there. He says really important words. He said, and after all this, I will draw all people to me. All people. Not just Jews. Not just an elect. Not just those who will come to be known as Christians. All people. Christians are very good, aren't we, at tying ourselves in knots about who is saved and how to be saved and, and what that all means. But Jesus, as recorded here, is very clear. The perfection, the completion of his work is to draw everybody to himself. Now, most of us will never hear God speaking to us directly. It's a, it's a rare phenomenon. And it's not actually one that anybody can ever prove one way or the other. But I suspect most of us have had moments of clarity in the way that Jesus had a moment of clarity. This is what my life is about, or this is what my life will be about from now on. This is the way I'm going to go, the way I need to go. Many years ago, I was preaching on the humanity of Christ in a different place, not in Scotland, in, a, in the middle of England. I'll leave you to guess where it might have been. And I spoke about the horrendous suffering that is recalled in the Gospels and especially on the cross. And at the end of the service, a very devout woman came to me and told me I was wrong. Told me that actually Jesus was serene on the cross. Jesus just kind of sailed through this without any pain. Jesus was calm and Jesus was in control. I don't know what Bible she read, but it wasn't the one that I have. Often we think that John's gospel is like the most theological, the most serene portrayal of Jesus, perhaps. And yet it is in this one where we see very clearly and very intimately the terror that runs through him at this point in the story. We are granted glimpses of agonies of a man who was just like us. And this theme is taken up in the letter to the Hebrews. Jesus is identified not only as the son of God, but as a high priest in the order of Melchizedek, don't know much about Melchizedek. He's a bit of a mysterious uh, character, though he is mentioned in the Old Testament. But what is central to the description of Jesus we find here is his humanity. He was totally, utterly human. His prayers weren't nice and polite and carefully crafted like perhaps mine are on a Sunday morning. 
He shouted. He cried. He wept. He felt and expressed his emotion. He allowed the tears to fall. He pleaded with the one who could save him from death. We're told that he was heard, but that the answer was still no. Of course, we all know the accounts in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, about Jesus in Gethsemane. And how he prays and as he prays, he sweats blood and his tears fall. And he says, Father, if it's possible, don't let this happen to me. And then says, but not my will, but yours. This isn't a serene Jesus. This isn't a plaster saint Jesus. This isn't a God pretending to be human. This is somebody who is truly, utterly, authentically human. Flesh of our flesh and bone of our bone. Who knows fear, anxiety and the dread of facing his own death. And now he knows that in this case, at least, his prayers aren't going to be answered the way he wants them to be. The letter to the the Hebrew church really centres on the authentic, authentic humanity of Jesus. Because it also says that he learned and he grew, that he actually progressed towards perfection. Can that be right? I'm kind of conscious I follow in the footsteps of another Baptist minister who dared to say such things a long time ago. If Jesus was without sin, how could he possibly need to learn or grow? And if he's truly divine, isn't he already perfect? Well, We actually have to look a little bit at the words, I think, here, because words change their meaning over time. Most people nowadays, if you hear the word sin, if we hear the word sin, the first thing that comes to mind is doing something wrong. The second thing that might come to mind is not doing something right. And even if we can go back a bit further to the old general confession, And talk about sins being through ignorance, through weakness, as well as our own deliberate fault. We still centre on doing the wrong thing, making the wrong choice. But those of us who've been around churches for any length of time know that's not what the word sin means in its original translation. It's about missing a target. It's about falling short. It's about the best we do, not quite getting there. It's not purely and simply about doing wrong. So when we say that Jesus was without sin, what we're actually saying is he never fell short of what God required of him. That doesn't mean to say that he always understood perfectly where this was leading or what God wanted from him. 
he could have had scope to learn and change. And if we read the synoptic gospels, if we read his encounters with the woman at the well, with the Samaritan woman, with various other people, we see how this man learns and grows, reflects on what he understands and what it means for him to be the person he's called to be. But that doesn't mean he fell short of the target God had for him. Maybe he was learning all the time and God then set new targets for him. A bit like we might do for ourselves. Some people do like sports programs, don't you? And you set yourself the target of, of running for a minute. And then when you've got to the point that you can run for a minute, you run for two minutes. Or we set ourselves to, to play some musical instrument and, and we want to learn this bit. And when we've done this bit, we move on to the next bit. That doesn't mean that we've fallen short. It just means there are new targets to be set. And I think that's what's hinted at in the letter to the Hebrews that Jesus was still learning and growing as a human being because human beings learn and grow. And actually, do you know what? I think that is more mind-blowing than that he was 100% perfect from day one. Oh, and that word perfect, don't know if you noticed when we heard the reading from Hebrews, it spoke about him being perfected, about him becoming perfect so what does that mean then you see again words have changed their meaning so when we hear the word perfect we probably think of the four tens on strictly or three tens on strictly last season or the hundred percent in the maths exam or completing that challenge without making a mistake but that's not what is meant by the use of the word perfect and perfection here. The original word talks about completing, fulfilling, reaching the goal. It's not about the perfect score. It's about getting to the end of the journey. Jesus completed the task that was assigned to him. He didn't lose sight of that end goal, that target. He learned what it meant to fulfill his role as the great high priest in the order of Melchizedek and as the son of the eternal God. He experienced sorrow and pain. He knew what it was like to cry out to God and not get the answer he wanted. He discovered how costly it is to obey God. But he kept on until the end so that everyone could be drawn to him and through him to the safe embrace of the God who is love. It's only possible to pull these scriptures together and read them in this way because somebody wrote them down. And because we have around 2,000 years of people wrestling with them. But let's not lose sight of what's at the heart of this story. On a specific day, at a specific time, somewhere in Jerusalem, a seemingly innocuous encounter took place. Some Greeks came 
and said, can we see Jesus? And in that moment, he knew. Effectively, his words say, well, that's it then. He may feel sick. His palms sweat. His head starts to spin. And he says, now my heart is troubled. We will, at some point in our lives, experience moments when our hearts are troubled. When we feel sick to the core, when our bodies are flooded by terror. And there surely is some comfort that in Jesus we have someone who knows and somebody who understands because he's been there. He has been that man, utterly changed in a moment. It's entirely possible as the restrictions unfold, as we move into the beyond, that there will be moments not unlike this for some of us. Moments when we're frightened. Moments when we're anxious. And yes, moments when we're excited. Moments when we glimpse that goal that we've been journeying towards. We need to remember that we have a Jesus who understands all of that. Wisdom unsearchable, God the invisible, love indestructible in frailty appears. This is the God who meets us in Jesus, who shares our pain, our sorrow, our questions and our fears. And this is the one who, when he is lifted up, will draw all humanity to the eternal embrace of God's shalom.
let's bring our prayers for others and for one another to God. Let us pray. God of eternity, you chose to step into time to share our joys and our sorrows. And we believe that because you became one of us, when we bring our prayers for our suffering world, we bring them not just to you, but with you. So with you, we pray for Mozambique, the country which BMS World Mission asks us to pray for this week. A country which has been in the headlines over these past few days and a country for whom our hearts are troubled. We pray especially for the conflict-driven province of Cabo Delgado, where 700,000 people have fled their homes, seeking sanctuary from terror, and where children as young as 11 are being executed by the militants. We confess our country's complicity in the injustice that is driving the insurgency. We lament our country's part in the corrupt deals that have seen farmers and fishermen languishing in poverty while the military elite basks in obscene amounts of wealth. And especially we pray for the children who should be reaping the benefits of that wealth in universal education, but instead are hungry and without hope. We ask your blessing on BMS workers, Liz and Sergio Vilala, who are working to provide education for all Mozambique's children and to put in place guidelines for their safeguarding. The Baptist Union of Scotland asks us to pray this week for the churches at Castle Hill in Bearsden and Cathcart and Castle Milk on the south side of Glasgow. Castle Hill have children on their mind as well. They ask us to pray for guidance as they look to appoint a children's and family worker to connect with and support young families in their area. Cathcart asks us to pray that they will know how best to serve the people around them and especially to pray for Cara Whiteman who leads the important work of Cathcart Youth Ministry. Castle Milk asks us to remember all in their congregation who have been bereaved during this past year and the families who have been separated from loved ones during lockdown. The Baptist Union also asks us to pray for Scripture Union Scotland, 
and for all Christian organisations to support children. May each of these churches and organisations find innovative and creative ways to continue to care for children and young people during the pandemic. And finally, we pray for ourselves. In our prayer calendar this week, we are asked to remember the work of Sunday school, Bible class and creche. We give you thanks for each child who is a member of our church family, for their enriching presence and for their example to us. And we thank you for the staff who work so hard to provide online Sunday school lessons and Zoom meetups for our young people. And we pray for parents and grandparents who for the past year have had to juggle work and homeschooling as well as all the usual stresses of family life. Give them the strength to carry on and help them to be gentle with themselves and with each other when it all becomes a bit too much. Finally, we pray for those who are named in our prayer calendar this week. For Clifford, Edward, Katrina G, Jean and Walter. Lord, you know intimately the individual circumstances of our lives. You know when our hearts are troubled by the pressures of work, study, of health, of family. Help us to remember that you are with each one of us every step of the way, today and every day. Amen.
And so may we, with Jesus, learn obedience to the God who is love. May we, with Jesus, attain the fullness of our own humanity. And may we, with Jesus, know the deep peace that only God can give today and always. Amen.